morning. I appreciate the welcome. Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you. I'm thrilled to, uh, to be here. And uh, if you weren't aware, you are in a seminar right now on the Tough Questions tract called Why Wait? So if you need to sneak out right now, now is your opportunity. But I'm thrilled that you're going to stay here and uh, just enjoy a little bit of time with me as we kind of unpack this subject a little bit. Why would we wait until we're married? But listen, I recognize that the likelihood is there's a whole stack of people here who don't know me. So maybe I could just introduce my people for a moment first. I think there's a picture that's going to appear on the screen for you. This is my incredible wife. Her name is Philippa. She's very beautiful. And uh, she's right up there. We've been married for seven years now. And uh, we have two children. The, the, the little red-headed kid is called James. But we call him Flame Boy. And uh, he's, he's super cute and very bouncy. And we have a, a daughter who's just 10 months old called Lexi. And so we're just getting used to what life looks like with her. And she's, uh, again, super bright. She's just started to kind of toddle a little bit. And so we're hoping that her first proper steps and walking are going to happen soon. And uh, it was only recently when we realized that James started doing some things because we were in the bathroom. And just next to the toilet, as most bathrooms do, there was the, the toilet brush. But I noticed that the toilet brush was kind of just leaning outside of its holder a little bit. I thought, that's a little bit strange. So I went over to the toilet brush and obviously gave it a little bit of a shove and thought, why is it not going in there properly? Still didn't move. So I took it out and saw inside the toilet brush holder that James had been in our cutlery drawer and put in some of our dessert spoons. Now, as you can imagine, this started a conversation in the Wilson household because we were trying to work out, do we keep the spoon, just give it a bit of a rinse, or does it have to be thrown out? And the problem was that Philippa and I had a difference of opinion. So I told her that I would ask you guys, so just for a moment, if you found a spoon inside the toilet brush holder, how many of you would keep the spoon? (laughs) All right. And out of curiosity, how many of you would have thrown that spoon away? I don't want anything to do with it. Oh my word. That is is close to a 50-50 split, by the way. And uh, I'm not going to tell you which side I was on or what we did with it, but I would suggest you don't come to our house for dinner. Now, I'm from a church in a place called Bedford. Anyone here from Bedford? Ah, come on now. I love Bedford. It's my favorite place to be. I'm so grateful to be there. I'm so grateful God took me there. And uh, I'm part of a church called the King's Arms, which I'm so passionate about. And, um, and uh, you know, the, the King's Arms is a brilliant place to be. And one of my roles and responsibilities there is to oversee all the outreach stuff that we do. And so involved in a whole range of things, but particularly with regard to helping people explore faith, explore Christianity, and explore Jesus. And um, it was some years ago in that vein when I started a football team. And the main reason I started this football team was with the idea of I wanted to reach men. And so I'm like, if I'm going to reach men, I want to spend time with them. I want to hang out. I want to do life alongside them. And uh, over the course of that team, we saw stacks of wonderful things happening. And uh, we had a number of people who came to faith, praise God. We had a number of people who got healed and some great conversations, which was outstanding. One particular guy that I met who played for this team of mine was called Ronin. 
And uh, Ronin uh, played for us for a number of years, and he was, a, he was a bit of a gangster by all accounts, and he used to kind of smoke a lot of weed and smoke a lot of cigarettes, and his kind of language was pretty shocking. And um, he was a really nice guy, though. And I, I, every week uh, before all the football games that we used to play, I used to walk up and down that football field just praying for the guys and just being like, God, I want you to break in, and God, would you do something wonderful in their life? And it was great. But several um, uh, years later, without my kind of knowledge of what he did in the meantime, Ronan came along to one of our Alpha courses. It was just this year, actually. And so he came along. He was in a very difficult situation in his life where he uh, had broken up from his partner. And they had these two uh, little children. He wasn't able to see them very much. And uh, he, he, in the midst of this journey, in the midst of this difficulty, started exploring Jesus. And hey, is, is there any significance to what Jesus said? How does it impact my life? And praise God, it was in March this year when he became a Christian. That's great news. I love it when people get saved. And do you know, there was one kind of highlight for me where he and I went for a run together. And he was saying, Steve, Steve, this week I, I was on Facebook and uh, I, was, I was looking at, at these pictures and I suddenly saw a picture of my, my ex-partner. She was there with some other guy and I picked up my phone and I was going to throw it at the wall. And he said, but then the weirdest thing happened. He said, I felt like God spoke to me and he told me to go and read the Bible. I was like, come on, what an amazing thing. What a brilliant thing that actually God's turning and shaping and just carving into his life. But you know, more recently we've been having a number of other conversations and questions. Because he's like, started to come to church a little bit, and, but he's now, he's now asking the question, well, what about sex? I don't think I want to give that stuff up. I don't, you know, I don't think I can do that. Like, it's just, it's just too good. And I'll be totally honest with you, he's probably got the same opinion that I had for the vast majority of my life. You see, I was uh, 24 years old when I stumbled into a church, and to be honest, I went there because of the fact that the girl who I was dating at the time, and her and I were sleeping together and kind of living a a, a pretty reckless life, but she was a Christian. So she had invited me to go along to this church, and I thought, hey, what a great opportunity to get in with the family, right? You know, there's her parents there, and I really want them to like me, so I'll go along. And so... We, we were there, we were kind of sat down, we were listening, and there were people there who were raising their arms in worship, people there who seemed to genuinely believe what they were reading in the Bible and lived their lives in such a way. They were trying to honor this God, trying to celebrate Him and worship Him, and they had a genuine purpose. They had peace, and they had this, this hope that they knew where they were going and why they were here. I didn't have this stuff. And that was almost the catalyst to me starting to explore whether Christianity had any reality to me. But if you'd asked me at the time, Hey, what did I think about the idea of uh, people sleeping together? What about, what about sex? I say, I would have had the same conclusions that this guy, this friend of mine who recently came to faith said. I would have said things like, look, it's my body. I can do what I want with it. I'm not actually hurting anybody. I would have said things like, sex is fun. Surely, if this God of yours created it, created us with these parts and with the idea for pleasure, then surely he wants us to use them. I would have thought that, you know, there's no way that I'm going to marry someone. There's no way that I'm going to commit my entire life to someone without knowing whether we're, like, sexually compatible, whether we can actually make that thing work. And to be honest with you, what, what if they're not any good? I would have had those kind of questions. And to be honest, the other thing I would have said was that, but we you know what, we are committed. In our hearts, we're committed, we're not seeing anyone else, this is all fairly normal, everyone else is doing it. What's a piece of paper going to change? That was my opinion. I know you've been hearing this week, 
all about the fact that the world around us, the world that you and I are living in, is screaming right now about the fact that sexual freedom is the norm. And it's very normal just to want to explore your bodies, to explore what they can do and explore sexuality. Maybe that should be a healthy thing in the world's eyes. And so it's important for us to look at this subject, and particularly in light of the fact that how do we as Christians respond to those people who might be outside of the church, or who might be new to Christianity and wrestling with some of these things for themselves? That's a perspective that we're going to talk on. I'm thrilled to do so. You know, historically, I think it's true to say the church hasn't massively spoken on this subject. It's one of the reasons why I was so excited that God had so clearly spoken about it through the course of this particular uh, festival. Because the church has either been very silent when it comes to sex, or to be honest, many people have left with the impression that it's a little bit ugly, a little bit dirty, a little bit gross. And of course, the, the strange and ironic thing is the fact that, you know, this dirty, this gross, this ugly thing has always been encouraged to save that for the one you love, right? But Hollywood right now is shouting about it. The movies that you and I watch will be dominated by sex and sexual scenes. And uh, I would probably suggest, and you maybe you could think about it, that 99% of which are not between a man and his wife. It's just the way it is right now. Songs, if you were to look through the kind of top 40 of any situation, often dominated by sexual lyrics and so on. Then you've got the fact that the television shouts about it in TV series, even magazines. I literally went over to, to the Sainsbury's earlier this week and just had to browse over some of the magazines, listen to some of the titles of the articles in those magazines. Not even joking. First one, how to have an affair. There was one that said, I'm plagued by all my bitter exes. Another one, I ditched my groom and I'm marrying his son. You know the... The frightening thing, and I'm not even joking here, is that they were some of the more tamer ones. There were some there that I'm like, I'm not even saying that on a stage at New Day. I was chatting to one of our amazing young people earlier this week, and I said, hey, look, this is what I'm doing. And the reality is that the sort of the movies that people are watching now, they're all about sex. And she said to me that she was the only, one of the only people in her whole class who hadn't seen the movie Fifty Shades of Grey. It's kind of frightening to me now. It kind of just great to me that, that actually the message that's being poured out right now is that that is the normal thing. And I think it's important that we get to speak about it. And so what I want to do as we're responding to this tough question is say, is there a different way? Is there a better way? What's God's way for us and for actually for the whole of humankind, whether Christian or not? And how do I go about communicating to those people who might have those kind of questions. And so uh, just as has happened with every other seminar, I believe, on this stream, is that what I'm going to try and do is carve out a little bit of time at the end of the message. So if there are specific questions, either about something that I say or about a situation that actually you're in right now, then you've got two options, one of which would be to come down and we'll try and take some of them from the front just here. But the other option, and I just want to, again, throw this huge blanket out right now and say... If it is the case that some of the things that God's bringing up in you, bringing up questions, don't miss the opportunity this week to speak to someone you trust. Don't miss the opportunity this week to speak to one of your leaders or indeed come and find me sometime around the campsite such that we can have a conversation because I I won't want you to be in a position where these things are starting to, to 
just great and to bubble up inside of you. Because the reality here is that we aren't just talking about theory right now. We're not just talking about, all right, there's, there's language there. This is real life. And probably as much, if not more, than any other one of the streams uh, or the seminars, sessions across this particular stream, this has got bite because it's going to affect every single one of you. It's going to affect the people around you, and it's going to affect the conversations you have. And so I'm going to do my very best to help you and serve you in that, and I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit will speak through us as well. So hey, in the midst of that, can I just pray for us? Would that be cool? I'm going to take the one person who nodded as my confirmation that I can. Jesus, we so want to honor and value your presence here, recognizing, Lord, that this is such a deep and significant subject for so many. And Father, we want to honor you and we want to ask for your guidance and support, Holy Spirit, that every single person across this room would be envisioned and passioned and equipped, Lord, to both share their faith, but also share, Lord, with confidence some of the things that actually people are being asked right now. So we trust you and say we honor you right across this room in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I say to you that these things are real. These things have got bite. So the first thing I want to do is actually introduce a couple, some real good friends of mine, who actually have a real life story of how New Day impacted them. And so Tom and Rosanna are going to really quickly dash up here, come round the corner up the stairs. What I would love for you to do is these guys are going to share very honestly. So I want you just to give them a massive round of applause for a moment. All righty then. All right. This is my good friends Tom and Ro. There's a microphone for you, sir. Thank you very much. It's a nice photo. Thank you very much. This is Tom and Rosanna on their wedding day, by the way. How sweet is that? All right. Listen, these guys don't know you, okay? So why don't you start, Tom, by sharing a little bit about how you guys met. Me and Rosanna met uh, at school. We started going to secondary school together. Uh, Rosanna was the popular, beautiful person that everybody knew. And you're going to have to imagine for a minute that I wasn't the rugged, handsome man that I am now. I was actually quite geeky. Uh, I had curtains up until I was about 13. I even tried to grow a mustache at one point that just made me look a bit lopsided. But we met uh, in a few classes and it kind of went from there. Very good. All right, Ro, tell us a little bit about why New Day is significant to you. What's, what's your history like? Uh, I love New Day. I absolutely love it. Uh, this is actually my 11th year at New Day. I've come wow. every single year. I absolutely love it. It's such a fun, fun place to be. I think personally for me, it was the place where I first got to encounter God, uh, where my parents were, and they weren't looking over me, and I just got to be free to figure out if this Christian thing was for me. A safe environment, having fun with my friends, and I met Jesus, and I became a Christian, and later on I got baptized. Very good. So New Day's pretty important for me. Yeah, very good, very good. Okay, so I know, Tom, that you were kind of hunting down, pursuing Rosanna for a little while. Tell us a little bit about that and your relationship together. Uh, it wasn't as creepy as it makes it sound with me <laughs> hunting it down and pursuing her. But um, after, after two years of, of, of uh, trying to go out with Rosanna, uh, she eventually agreed to go on a few dates with me. And uh, our relationship just kind of grew from there. We got to know each other. We got to really like each other. We became really good friends. And then we started going out. And 
in, in my experience uh, of relationships throughout my whole life is that you start to know somebody, you get to spend more time with them, and then you just take things to the next level and the next level, and then it becomes to the, to the physical level. That was just what I believed happened and what everybody did. Yeah. So you, in one respect, were following a very normal trajectory of couples kind of in, the, in and around you. But I know, Rosanna, you were at a New Day very seminar, very similar to this, when God really spoke to you about the relationship you were having. Why don't you tell people about what happened? Well, uh, Tom and I started dating, and um, I'd invited along to New Day, where he became a Christian as well. So we both gave our lives to Jesus here. And I was in one of the afternoon seminars um, many years ago, where they were doing the girls and guys separate seminars. And I think Livy was speaking about why is um, sex in marriage so important and why should we wait? And I had been feeling like I don't think what I'm doing is wrong, uh, sleeping with Tom. I felt like a little bit heavy about it. I didn't know if it was right or wrong, but I'd never had any teaching about why sex before marriage would be wrong. Okay. I'd heard this seminar and she started speaking about actually this is not what God wants. Right. Um, he's got great things for you. He's got great things in your marriage. And actually, there's so much importance in waiting and so much value and so much that God wants to show us by waiting. And I just felt the conviction of God. No one said anything to me. No one knew that I was sleeping with Tom. But I just felt the conviction and the weight of the Holy Spirit. And you know when you just know, I think what I'm doing is wrong and I think I need to do something about that. I just felt, I've got to tell someone. I've got to speak this out. And actually, I think what I'm doing is wrong. So I just walked out of this tent and I phoned Tom and he was at the sports field playing football and I was like, I think we need to chat. Let's, let's hook up. And I was like, I think we should stop having sex. What do you think? And our journey of pursuing purity in our relationship began from there. Very good. So good to hear. Tom, tell us a little bit about how you uh, feel looking back on that time, your relationship through that period. Yeah, looking, looking back on it, it was, it was a really difficult time uh, trying, to, trying to catch up and, and listen to what God was saying to me. So I always felt... Uh, that God was speaking to me about this particular area. I felt this always niggling in the back of my head, um, but I just decided to suppress it. But what I felt like God was speaking to me about, even in the weeks leading up to before Rosanna came and spoke to me, was that what we were doing wasn't right. And that uh, if I was going to follow this God and if I was going to pursue Christianity, it wasn't just a, a pick and mix kind of situation. I couldn't take the things that I wanted and, and take the things that I not. It was very much a go big or go home situation. And I feel like uh, there was just a regret that I didn't listen to that further, uh, sooner. I think that if I had listened to that sooner, all the paranoia and the worry and the, just the fear that, that was in our relationship would have been able to be rid of much sooner. So, yeah, very good. Yeah. Very good. And hey, Ro, just before we, as we close, obviously you've been married for a couple of years now. I know from that point of God speaking to you, 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 you kind of pursued purity and you put the healthy boundaries in. But tell me how marriage is now. Marriage is awesome. I love marriage. Marriage is so good. I think Tom briefly mentioned before when we were sleeping together, actually it was really hard. I didn't notice until our honeymoon that actually I don't remember the last time I was paranoid. At the beginning of our relationship, I was completely riddled with this paranoia and fear and control. Um, we weren't trusting each other, but now in marriage, there is 100% trust for one another. I love him, and I know that he loves me. And to know that a guy has committed himself to me and kept himself for me is the biggest gift that he could have given me on our wedding day. So it's really, really amazing. Fantastic. Can we thank these guys? It takes a bottle to get up 
and share so openly and to be honest with actually what God's done. And, uh, you know, it's my desire that actually God would even speak through a situation where people are again pursuing one thing and then decide to actually follow God's best plan for their life through it. But, you know, I would also say that the likelihood is across this room that there'll be other people who might even feel they're in a similar position to where Tom and where Rosanna have been recently. And, you know, I've got a very, again, checkered background. I'll show you a little bit about that in a moment or two. But I just want to say, I guess, and almost emphasize that both when it comes to speaking to people who aren't yet Christians and who are speaking to Christians, this isn't the unforgivable sin, okay? This isn't something that means that God hates you or dislikes you. I want to almost shout out the fact that he loves you with an everlasting love and his grace is sufficient for you. And for every single one of us who might think we're we're kind of caught up in something, which actually we don't want to be, actually God's love makes a way, Christ makes a way for us to be redeemed and to repent. And maybe for some of us we can almost feel that same voice of the Holy Spirit saying, this is the week for us to make some tough decisions and have some tough conversations because God only wants the very best for you. I'm going to start jumping into a few verses. Let me tell you why I believe that to be true. It says in John 3, 17, For he did not send his own son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't condemn the world. But actually, he's got a better and a bigger and more significant plan. So, how would we go about responding to people? How how would we go about responding to people like Ronin to kind of explore and provoke them with some questions. The first thing that I think is important to do, all right, and we should always do this when it comes to Christianity, is to make Jesus our foundation, okay? To make Jesus our foundation. Because the key question when it comes to sex and sexuality comes down to what or who do we trust when it comes to the message that's portrayed now? Who are we gonna trust? Do we trust the magazines? Do we trust the movies and what they portray? Do we trust the uh, TV series? Or do we trust as Christians the one who was willing to literally lay his down, his life down for us? Do we trust the one who only wants good for us? Because for us as believers now, and because of what Jesus said, we're going to believe the Bible and what it says. Just as Tom made reference to earlier, Jesus, when he received us, wasn't just interested in a certain tiny slither of our lives. It's not that he was just like, all right, yes, thank you. You've you've now come into a relationship with me, and I'm going to see you every Sunday morning, right? We'll have this slot between 10.30 and 11.30, and then we can chat a little bit, and then you'll disappear off and do your own thing. Jesus isn't like that. He's looking for all of you, 100%. And the thing that I want to believe and trust when it comes to Jesus is that he was telling the truth when he said in John 10.10, I came to give you life and give you life to the full. And I believe that when it comes to sex. He wants us to to give us life and life to the full. So when I'm speaking to my friend, I actually want to say to them, hey, do you know what? I, I believe in what Jesus said. I believe it's true that his plan for me is the very best and his desire is to give me life to its fullness. And any apologetic, any defense of Christianity, any response that we give to people should always flow to and from Jesus. 
If I meet someone out in the street and I love doing street work, often when we get into conversations, the main person that I want to talk about is Jesus. This is what Jesus has done in my life. This is who Jesus uh, is. This is what he said. This is what he did for you. And so I want to talk about him an awful lot. I'm a, for many years, I've, I've loved to, to do sports. Any other sportsmen in the house? Ladies, sports ladies in the house, love sports. I'll do anything. I used to play badminton a lot. I played a little bit of tennis, squash from time to time. Loved football. Don't, don't uh, blame me, but I'm a Nottingham Forest supporter. Nottingham Forest supporters in the house? Embarrassing. Oh, nearly, nearly. All right. Very good. Big Forest supporter. Love playing a lot of football. And I used to go to coaching sessions, right? And so, um, kind of most weeks, Saturdays and Wednesdays, we always used to have kind of our, our games and the teams, and we used to have all sorts of different training. Training on positioning, we used to have training on kind of, uh, kind of how, to, how to sort of stand and, and where to move and different techniques and coaching and, and all sorts of different shapes and sizes. Do you know the very best bit of advice in any sporting uh, sort of type that I was given was this, keep your eyes on the ball. Keep your eyes on the ball. And you know, I actually think that, Jesus, uh, that Christianity is the same, right? The very best thing that we can do is to keep our eyes on Jesus. And the one thing I want to, would encourage people who are starting to explore Christianity to do is to actually say, what did Jesus say? What did he mean? Because he is the key to a successful life. And that includes any experience of courtship and dating and marriage and sex, but includes everything else as well. Everything finds its place and its meaning in Jesus when he's at the center. So that's money or work or friendships or university or our appearance and how we see ourselves and how our family unit is going to work and how our church life fits into that. All of it makes sense through Jesus. I don't know whether you've ever heard this question, but very commonly I'll be asked the question when someone kind of newly comes to faith and they'll be asking me about sex and marriage and relationships and they'll say this. How far can we go sexually and it not be sin? Ever heard that question? Lots of people ask it. How far can I go? How close to the line can I get? What is permissible right now? And I actually think that's the wrong question. So the question I'd rather provoke people with, and I could do this to Christians or non-Christians, is this. How close can you get to Jesus? How close can we get to him? Because, you know, it's not possible for us to pursue Jesus and sin at the same time. It's not possible. So let's fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter, and say, right, what does he say about it? Because he's the one who's going to give us purpose and hope and delight and joy in everything that we're involved with. So changing the question can change the relationship. So the first thing is, what does Jesus say in his teaching? That's what we're responding to. The second thing that he says, and this has been emphasized this week, I think it's worth reiterating. Jesus leads us to the fact that sex is good. It's a good thing. It's a positive thing. Turn to the person next to you and tell them sex is good. Now, listen to me for a moment. I want you to hear me on this. Because God wants you to have the best sex life you can. All right? Seriously, God wants you to have the best sex life you can. And following God's plan, you can have the best sex of your life for the rest of your life. Now, who wouldn't want that? So when I'm talking to Ronin, what I want him to know is that God is less killjoy and more wanting people to have the most pleasure without the pain. 
That's God's delight and design. I heard of one particular guy who stood up for the fact that he wanted to stay a virgin until he was married. And he was in a classroom and he was explaining, yeah, I'm going to wait until I'm married uh, to be able to sleep with my, ma- ma- uh, my wife to uh, fulfill that part of the relationship. And some guy right at the back was like, oi, but how will you know if she's any good? His response was beautiful. He said, how will I know if she's not? How will I know if she's not? She's going to be the best the most wonderful thing that he's ever experienced. I thought that was a beautiful example. It's following God's plan, you can have the best sex of, the, of your life for the rest of your life. It may, uh, until this week, have come as a bit of a surprise to you to know that God and the biblical view of sex is actually an extremely positive one. And so God, primarily, he thought of sex, okay? It's a good thing. It's not awkward, it's not embarrassing, I don't mind speaking about it. He gave us this wonderful expression of love for one another. He invented it. So once upon a time, I might have appreciated the illustration or thinking about the fact that, you know, God had been hanging out with Adam and Eve way back when in the Garden of Eden. And then God had just maybe disappeared for a little while, you know, he was doing the washing up or something in the kitchen. And kind of Adam and Eve snuck behind this bush and God was like, hey, hey, Adam, Adam, Eve, where are you? Wow, what are you doing? Like, get off of her. Like, how did that happen? I didn't mean for that to happen. He didn't do that. That wasn't the way it worked. Actually, if we look through the verses of Scripture, that it it was meant to be a holy and safe and good thing. Genesis 1 says, Where the Lord creates human beings, male and female, he tells them to go forth and multiply and declares uh, that everything he has made, including sex, is very good. It's a good thing. It didn't surprise him. But what we also need to know is that it's designed for a particular purpose and place in the context of love and devotion according to that one who made it, who invented it, where it's going to be at its very best. So sex is a good thing. Now let me try and explain this for a moment. This uh, is a chainsaw. right? It's a fairly small chainsaw up on the screen. There's a little bit of a bigger chainsaw. And uh, the reality, the reality is that picture just comes up, is that I believe that sex is a little bit like a chainsaw, all right? See, many of you would appreciate that um, you know, a, a chainsaw is a kind of cool thing, okay? I like holding them. It makes me feel a little bit butch. It makes me feel a little bit manly. It's got that kind of power. It's got that grit. It's got that you know, sheer velocity to it. It's got that massive potential to do something incredibly good. And it's a brilliant invention. It's a genuinely excellent thing, a wonderful creation within certain boundaries, within a safe context. Because outside of that context, if you were to give that chainsaw, if you were to give that chainsaw to somebody outside of a healthy place and someone who is appropriate to use it, it can do incredible damage. Sex is powerful in the right context. And the world around us might be screaming out that it's about fun, self-fulfillment, exploration. But the reality is, and this is what I've seen, and even outside of STDs and unplanned pregnancies and so on, sex can cause pain outside of the context. That's what I want to say to people who don't think about it. Let me put it like this. If right now I wanted to mess up your life, genuinely, if I had the opportunity of just shipwrecking your life from here on in, I would actually go for sexual sin in your life. 
I wouldn't present you in the first instance with any huge opportunity, but I just start to weave in and look for opportunities just to tease you and tempt you to go a little bit further than you want to go. Maybe in your moments of greatest weakness, maybe at the times when you're alone and feeling blue and it's late at night, and I just look to encourage you when you're having a bit of a tough time just to go a little bit further than you're used to going, to look at those little things that you're not used to looking at, to go a little bit further with that person that you have been hanging out with and they're, you know, they're, they've always been that shoulder to cry on and you've been kind of getting to know each other and oh, it won't matter for this time and we could really do with that kind of special level of comfort. And you know, I just reel you in a little bit. I take you to the place where actually you need to get a little bit further and a little bit closer and a little bit beyond where you want to be just so that you can have the same kind of fulfillment as you got that first time. But what will happen is that you're going to start to lead a very much a double life, hidden from many of the people around you. And it might even be that I'm going to sort of tease you into some kind of leadership role with some responsibility, just so that when you're in the, given the most profile, I can actually go public with some of these issues. See, the media portrays that sexual immorality is just a bit of fun. But please forgive my bluntness. That's absolute rubbish. Because I've seen the reality as when I've had to go through the pain of sharing my own sexual sin and sat with others as they've shared theirs and the damage and the the absolute chaos and the boyfriends who are wrecked with shame and the damage they've done to other people through this and the devastating breakup afterwards. I actually think that sexual sin is a bit like stepping on a landmine. It's not just that you do damage to yourself, but as you blow up, it's going to start shedding shrapnel to those around you. And the people who are going to get most hurt are those closest to you. It's a dangerous thing. At the same time, it's an incredibly good thing. So what do we do? Let's take some biblical advice. I would say to my friend, hey, you know what? I agree with the Bible when it says, Song of Songs, it says, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. If you like, until it's ready, until the right time. I want people to know that sex is good, but the second thing I guess I want to say is that I want people like Ronin to know that sex is more than good. And this is what Joel and Andrew have been doing such an amazing job of kind of unpacking for us so far this week. I think a couple of things from my perspective that I would try and communicate were that Jesus is clear that it's a good thing, but it also represents something far bigger. It represents something of the divine nature of God, the divine nature of the gospel. We've been reading, haven't we, in Genesis 1. It said, God said that let us make mankind in our image, in our image, and let them rule. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. See, God made human beings, male and female, in order that they might reflect something of himself. And it's in this unique context of marriage and sex together that they reflect something of coming together and oneness in the midst of that. And so have you ever heard someone say, well, it's just sex, Steve. It's just sex. But the reality is, if the Bible's true, there's no such thing as just sex. In the sight of God, sex displays something of himself. It's also a covenant, a permanent bond, a permanent connection. And where celebrities and these magazines might kind of seem to change their partners almost as often as students change their bedsheets, Ephesians 5, which we looked at today, talks about that bond, talks about how a man and a woman being like the picture of Christ and his church, representing purity, representing sacrifice, representing oneness 
representing the perfect, spotless bride, clean and delighting as she comes to meet her husband, just as that brilliant illustration showed earlier. And you know, my story is that I started dating people around about 14. I first started having uh, sex when I was 15. And pretty much for the next 10 or 11 years, I kind of went from one relationship to the next one relationship to the next, one relationship to the next, feeling like I need some kind of sexual satisfaction to be normal, to be accepted, to feel satisfied, to feel any sense of self-worth. The reality was that when I became a Christian and realized that, hey, that's not the real way, I was filled with all sorts of regret, all sorts of shame. I remember the occasion when I went to a friend's house and uh, I just said, hey, look, guys, uh, there was two of them there. Can, can I just talk to you for a little while? And uh, I wonder whether you don't mind me just kind of sharing about my kind of history and all the things that I, I got up with. And I'd written, written this long letter out. And I literally was like, I'm going to give you the warts and all, the worst of me, the darkest parts of what I've been involved with. And I'm going to tell you about it. And I'm going to tell you about it so that the enemy can't. I keep shouting about those things in my ear. And they were amazing. They sat and they listened as I through just tears, just was able to unload of all the different things that I've been involved with, all the different partners I'd had, what we did, and how horrendous it has made me feel. You know, at the end of it, the guys came up to me, and they wrapped their arms around me, they hugged me, they prayed for me, and they took that letter where I'd written everything. They screwed it up and went over to the fireplace and threw it in the fire, and I watched that thing get burnt up as they put a match to it. And the reality is that God has called us to something of purity. And actually, I'm so thrilled by the fact that it kind of just released me from all that pain and shame that I would have been holding for such a long time. Because, you know, sex uniquely is a very spiritual thing. I don't know whether you know, but the, the Bible actually quotes the Spice Girls when it says, to become one, right? Uh, probably the other way around, but... As we saw in Ephesians 5.31, there's this mystery, this divine, spiritual, glorious mystery as two people are united. And I think part of that represents the fact that we're supposed to be bonded with one other person in a very special way. Someone once illustrated it to be a little bit like the fact that our souls, they're sticky. They're a little bit like sellotape. And what happens is that the first time you put your sellotape on somebody else, it sticks and there's something of a spiritual connection there. But what can happen is that if you tear that sellotape off and then suddenly go and find something else to stick that sellotape to, every time that we're tearing it off, it loses something of its stickiness. And so for me, I had realized that I had to pray through, work through, talk through some of the significance of actually the, the previous situations and circumstances and relationships that I've been in because of the fact that I wanted to be free of that stuff. Now, God can restore it. But actually, uniquely, we've been created to bond and to stick with the person he's called you to be with forever. We want to be free from comparison, free from thoughts that would tear us away from each other. And God's word, I believe, is true in all of this. So I communicate with Ronin. I say, actually, I want to believe and trust that what Jesus said is true. I want to tell you, hey, Lord, actually, sex is a good thing. And actually, it's something that he invented, and he wants you to have the best sex you can. I want to say to him, but actually, it's far bigger than that. It's more significant. It's more spiritual. It's more meaningful. And the final thing I want to say to him is that marriage is the best place. Marriage is the very best 
context. That is the answer to this big question. The Bible confirms in Jesus' words that actually marriage is about one man and one woman. It's about a permanent connection. Matthew 19, where Jesus emphasizes what it had already said through the Old Testament, where a man will leave his mother and father and become united in one flesh, no longer two, but one. What God has joined together, let not man separate. There's this picture of a man leaving his parents, being unified with his wife. Note the order, he kind of leaves and then cleaves. And he tells us that when such a public marriage covenant takes place, that nothing can separate that. It's a unique, spiritual, significant bond that no one should separate. Now, waiting until you're making these promises and commitments to one another is totally different from what the world around us says. The world around us might scream out, you need to experiment. You need to pursue. You need to have a varied sexual experience. How do you know what you're going to like? Guys, listen to me. It's a big, fat, stinking lie. It's a lie. It's not true. Jesus wants the very best for you. People talk about losing their virginity, but to be able to say, on my wedding night, the best gift that you had was the gift that God gave you and the ability for you to gift yourself fully, wholly, spiritually, physically to your husband or your wife is the most dramatic and romantic thing that can possibly happen. Let me just finish by sharing two quotes, and then we're going to take some questions, okay? So if you have a specific question, maybe you can start ushering your way down to the front here. Listen to how Tim Keller puts it. Sex is a way of saying to another person, I belong completely, exclusively, and permanently to you. And that's something you can only do in marriage. And then here's what my friend said. I sent a message to a friend of mine who... Um, got married in his 30s and waited to, and waited to, until that night to um, sleep with someone for the very first time. And he said this. He said, I feel so saved from comparison. I have only had sex with my wife and she with me. I never have to worry what her previous experiences were like and how I measure up. We can just relax and enjoy the pleasure of us discovering one another more in the way God intended. What's followed has been the best sex ever. I like that. You know, just has been emphasized, and I guess I, I would want to reiter reiterate and confirm what some other people have said across the course of this week. Just as I close, that marriage is good, but you know, the Bible's very clear that singleness is good too. Don't feel second class. Don't awaken love until it's ready. Jesus Christ, who's the most complete human being there ever has been, never slept with anybody, never had sex. And so not to be married and not to have sex doesn't mean you're incomplete, but actually God calls you holy and dearly loved. So let me recap. Put Jesus first. He's the one we want to talk about. He's the one we want to respond to. Sex is good. It's a gift from him. That's what we want to get people to get. Sex is better than good. It portrays something so much bigger. But marriage is the right context. Now, before I 
ask anyone if they do have any questions. And I will, by hook or by crook, I'll do my very best to try and share some answers and some response and maybe guide some people in a personal situation. I, I just, I guess, recognize that there might be some people here who were in a similar situation to where Tom and Roe were, who feel like they just a little bit of the conviction of the Holy Spirit is with them and they want to actually say, this is an opportunity to say, God, I want to change some things in my life and make a decision today. Now, I'm not going to get you to come to the front. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I do want to pray for you. And so can I just ask, maybe, and I also want to pray for all of us as well. So can I just ask right the way across the room, maybe close your eyes for a moment. Just engage with God. And if that's you, if you know that today is a significant day for you to actually turn away from that stuff and follow God's best plan for your life, you can pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you now. And I want to repent, Lord. I realize that I've made some poor decisions and I want to change. I thank you, Lord, that you died for every single one of my sins, including this one. But today, I pray, Holy Spirit, come and help me to make the right healthy decisions and pursue you with all I am. I pray for grace in my life and that you'd put good people around me such that I might make healthy decisions with healthy boundaries and pursue you. I am all in God. So help me from this day. In Jesus' name. And Father, I want to pray for every single person in this room. No matter whether they're 12 years old, 15 years old, or they're 50 years old. Father, I want to pray though that we would be a people who pursue you and put you first. I want to pray, God, that you would help us to model what it is to do that, but also, God, that we would be a shining light in the world. I pray, God, that people would see our lives and our lifestyles, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be equipped to share the beauty and the majesty and the glory of what genuine, powerful, biblical, pure sex is to a world around us who seem to be craving it in so many other ways. So God, have your hand on every single person here. May we love you and pursue you for all we are. In Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Outstanding. Guys, all right, I'm going to get Tom and Roe to come back on the stage for a minute. If you're going to do it, you've got to do it properly. Should we give them a round of applause again? And we've got 15 minutes left of this session, okay? Which basically means that either we're going to stand here like lemons, which is all right, or it might be the case that you would like to ask us a question, okay? There's a microphone just down here on this stand. And um, I'm very happy to answer any questions that you might have. Let me give you that. Or it might be that you want to ask a little bit more practically about something that Tom and Ro had going on as well in their life and situation. And just while I get two or three people up here, I'm just going to keep talking for a second. Um, I understand, though, the reality is that some of these issues get quite close to the bone. 
All right? And it might be that a better context, a healthier context for you, if you don't want to ask things publicly, okay, is to speak to someone you know. So that's okay. But we're here, we want to serve you, and we're really happy to. And so uh, we have one person down there right now. I think we have a second coming. I'm really happy. What's your name? Uh, Emily. Emily. Really nice to meet you, Emily. Where are you from? Uh, Southampton. Emily from Southampton. Let's give a round of applause to Emily from Southampton. <laughs> it's great to, have, uh, great to have you ask a question. Do you want to share the question, and then we'll work out maybe who could try and give a response? Yeah. Um, basically, my question was, what about Adam and Eve? Um, in God's eyes, were they married? When about marriage kind of, you know, become an important thing? Very good. Well, you know, in that passage that we looked at in, in, in Genesis, I would suggest, and I've heard it, other people put it like this, is that they were some of the first people that it was God who officiated the very first wedding ceremony. Actually, he was there. He was the one who brought them together. He was the one who encouraged them to become one. And so obviously in that very unique time when God walked amongst them and he blessed their marriage and he blessed their sexuality and he blessed them and said, go forth and multiply. And so that's very unique, very clever, very special. And uh, the beautiful thing though is that God's in the midst of every single other wedding ceremony now as well. But great question, Emily. Thank you so much for asking. I hope that was okay and you disappeared. Well done. Great. Hi. Hello, I'm Emily from Cardiff. Another Emily from yes. Cardiff. Round of applause for Emily from Cardiff. <laughs> Welcome. Two Emilys, we can remember that. Emily, have you got a question for us as well? Yes, so um, uh, there's been a lot of talk this week about marriage being um, the most kind of um, amazing symbol of God um, and heaven and earth coming together. Yeah. Um, so my question is, as a single person... Um, am I limited in my experience of who God is and that symbol? Um, am I missing out on something by not having that experience? Because yes. if that is the highest symbol of heaven and earth coming together yes. of the gospel, then yes. am I being held back from something um, Great by question. not having that experience? Great question. The reality, guys... You, you, want me to, you happy with me to share from it? You, you go for it. The reality, guys, is that for many people like Emily, particularly in this room, the vast majority, I would have thought, would be single people. So in one respect, why are we talking about this? Well, it's such a big issue in society that we wanted to make sure that it was front and center. Two things that I would say. In the midst of a speaking like this, obviously we've been giving some symbolism and, and, and celebrating the beauty and the wonder of sex. However, that isn't the only defining thing, and nor, I would actually suggest, is it the pinnacle. For a long time in my life, I pursued sex and sexual relationships and women as if that is the be-all and end-all. This is what I'm living for. This is what my weekends are about. I need to find this lady or do this thing and get, feel that way. The reality now is that much as though that's part of my life, that is not the pinnacle. That's not the be-all, end-all. That's not the main thing. The reality is that God's given us himself to know and so the Bible actually talks about the fact that in heaven, there will not be male and female, there will not be marriage, there will not be uh, sex in the way that we know it. And so all of those things will pass and we'll know him in all his fullness. And I would kind of, I guess, lean back into the fact that there are so many people of significance and the most complete being who has ever been, Jesus Christ himself, who never had a sexual relationship. And so much as though this points to something that reflects those things, I would suggest so that uh, singleness, so that um, uh, you know, having a relationship with God personally is actually the biggest and most important thing that you can do. And so whilst it's one reflection, it's not all, and it's certainly not even the main one. That was helpful. Anything you guys want to add? 
Okay, great. Hey, where are you from? What's your name? Nathaniel from Morpeth. This is Nathaniel from? Morpeth. Morpeth. Cool, I've never heard of that place. Nathaniel, what can we, uh, how can we help you? What other question that you had? Is indulging in pornography as bad as sex outside of marriage? Good question. The question was, is indulging in pornography as bad as sex outside of marriage? It's a good question. You want to go? It's a very good question. Uh, I, I think I'll let you take this one. That's all right. Yeah. All right. So... I think the thing that is going on here is obviously in, in, in the nature of that question, there is a case of which sin is worse, okay? Do I want to be kicked in the shin or punched in the stomach? I mean, the reality is that I, I don't think either of them are healthy things. I, I wouldn't even want to go as far as saying which is necessarily the worst. I guess what I would want to champion is that the gospel and the Bible talks about us wanting to pursue purity, in all and every form. And it talks about the fact that actually we shouldn't have lust in our hearts. And the vast majority of the time, the people who are looking at pornography, who are wanting to um, pursue uh, fulfillment through watching uh, movies or clips online or going to shows or whatever those guys are doing, are just trying to satisfy a personal individual desire to fulfill lust in their hearts. And again, I kind of don't want to put the two of them and say which is better, which is worse, and say, hey, look, let's pursue Jesus in all and every form such that we might honor him and know him in all of his fullness. He's the one who calls us to the pinnacle and the perfection of life, and he's the one we want to honor and value. And I don't think either of those two things are going to bring you any closer to him. In fact, the reality is, and in the midst of me saying that I I kind of shared that stuff with those two friends of mine, is that again, I had a huge history of masturbation, of pornography, of pursuing stuff that I thought would satisfy this weird craving, when the reality was that that was just twisted and it was dragging me away from the relationship that I had been called to. I'm so thrilled by the fact that he could set us free and redeem us from every single one of those situations. So I hope that's uh, not skipping the question, but that's from my perspective what I would suggest. Hey, buddy. Hey, uh, Jamie from South Bedfordshire. Jamie from South Bedfordshire. We love Bedfordshire. Welcome, Jamie. Nice to have you with us. A question for us. What would you say to young Christians who can't get married for financial or cultural reasons? You know, what are they supposed to do? Good question. Is there a specific illustration that you could give? Obviously, financial is, it would be one of them. But um, uh, in terms of the cultural reasons, what are specific ones you were thinking about? Um, beliefs of the parents. You know, not allowing them to get married because they have different spiritual beliefs or... Okay. Yeah. Good question. Good question. And Nathaniel, wasn't it? You guys want to have a go? Shall I go first? Well, God, um, God is a God of honor. And so I guess if, it's, if you're in relation to your parents, you know, on, on one hand, God is asking us to honor our parents yeah. and what they're asking of us. On the other hand, he's asking of us as well and he's speaking to us. And it's asking God, what do you want from me? Yes, very and good. what are you saying to me? And what should I do right now? And how can I best honor those around me with not causing offense? But actually, sometimes when we do what God wants, we can cause offense. But it's where our heart is at and what we're doing. And that's it. Okay. So, absolutely. Let's, let's honor our parents, honor those who, who disagree. There comes a point in our lives, particularly, the, the question was specifically around young people. 
there does become a point in our lives when actually there is a, a sense of responsibility that is previously underneath the kind of parents' wing, as it were, when we do need to stand as kind of adults, both in the sight of the government, in the sight of a church, in the sight of, of ourselves, and be responsible there. And so certainly from the sort of point from kind of 18 and above, I would suggest you're kind of independent um, to make your own decisions, but we want to value those people that we love and God's put around us as well. With regard to other hindrances, one was made reference to was, was finances. And the reality is that if you were to go and buy a wedding magazine right now and nip to the local shop and start having a flick through it, you see these crazy expensive things that people do, right? And people spend hours and hours, months and months preparing for this phenomenal day. And they've got everything organized. They've got their kind of little gifts that they're going to put on people's tables. And uh, they've they've worked out what music's going to be. And they've decorated the hall. And they've paid for every person they've ever known or ever had a drink with to come and to celebrate with them. And they can spend tens of thousands of pounds trying to get this perfect day. My question often for people who I do marriage prep with, including these guys actually, is always how much are we investing in the marriage and not just that day? The reason that's significant is that actually, before God, the main thing that's important on your wedding day is the fact that you're there, that God's there, okay? And so, as a very minimum, you're going to come and you're going to stand before God. Now, that actually doesn't have to be expensive. You don't have to bow down to the fact that we need to save up for the next 60 years to be able to afford one special day where everyone else will have the salmon, Actually, you're making promises in purity. And so what I would suggest, if you're specifically in that situation, is just speak to your church about it. Speak to your leaders and say, hey, do you know, we actually, we're, 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 we've been dating for a little while. I've, I've proposed, I really want to marry this lady. We want to commit our lives to each other, but we haven't got a huge amount of money. Is there any way you can help? And so there's been a stack of people in our church who we've been able to help by sending a whole group of our people to go, and we're going to do the catering for you. And we're going to bless you with a venue. And we're going to help you with a gift to be able to um, kind of give you maybe a, a, a dress. Or we can work things out. And actually, they've had such an amazing time. Not because they've spent a fortune on it, but because of the fact that it was right for them. This is a, a, a little aside, all right? But I actually am not a massive person who's in favor of huge, long engagements. I don't want to be controversial in saying that, but I, I think sometimes a, a huge, long engagement um, might not be the, the kind of healthiest thing. I think it's better to make the decision to work through things in a really well, appropriate thing. Talk to couples who can help you and support you in that, and then get married. Why wait? Go for it. If you're ready and willing, you realize that's the person that God's called you to be with. Go for it. Enjoy that. Happy? Cool. Thanks. Hey, hey, buddy. How you doing? Hey, I'm Tom from Cumbria. Tom from Cumbria. Round of applause for Cumbrians. I love the Lake District, it's awesome. Tom, how can we help? Uh, does this only work if you're in a relationship with another Christian? Because an atheist partner wouldn't agree. Very good question. Very good question. Tom, why don't you kind of share? Particularly because obviously that was your situation for a little while. Yeah, good question, Tom. Oh. And great name as well. Uh, I think that it was a difficult situation for me to be in, being the atheist in the relationship or somebody that didn't have a relationship with God. Um, I think when you start the relationship you should be as upfront about this is what I believe this is what I'm going through this is how I feel and be really honest with that person and see what their response is and I think in in the midst of that as well I think you could be praying for them and you could be praying for their for their salvation you could be praying for them to to see see how you view things and I think the question would be you know 
is it is it is it worth pursuing this if we don't meet on this particular issue, yes. which is obviously uh, a, a big issue. You know, there's there's different issues that some are small ones. Whether you know we can spend two grand on a dress or not, that's a small issue. But one of these issues is is a big issue, and yeah. I think if you're yeah. not meeting on that, I think you need to to talk about yeah. that and pray about that. I think yeah. I think for me, Tom. I might, I might go a little bit further. And that, I, again, I, I, w- I would want to emphasize the fact that I believe that the, God wants you to thrive and flourish and be the very best that you can be and give you the very best. And if you are a Christian here, and I, I, I kind of, part of me doesn't want to beat around the bush in one respect, but there's, there's, there's verses, there's texts, and in the midst of knowing that God wants the best for you, there's scriptures that say, don't be yoked with an unbeliever. Don't pursue someone who hasn't got the same trajectory as you have in your heart. The reality is that if you marry somebody who's not a Christian and you date someone who's not a Christian, and I see this because my uh, sister-in-law is actually, she's become a Christian and she's married someone who's not. They have so many challenging conversations about, hey, how are we going to raise our kids? What are we going to do with our time? How are we going to give our money? What's the destination of our future? What are we gonna, how are we going to spend Sunday mornings? And it's just a painful, painful, painful thing to realize that there are so many things that you want to pursue Jesus with all you are, your partner doesn't. And it's almost unfair on them to, to help them to do so. So I would agree with Tom that pray for them, trust that God would work in their life, but I would certainly suggest that you don't want to, don't pursue a relationship where you realize that's going to be a constant challenge, headache, and problem in your relationship. Okay, pursue Christ first, and I'm, I, I think he'll give you a way out. And speak to someone if that's the situation you're in. Guys, we're going to do one more question as a, as a whole group, and then we're just going to hang out here just for a few minutes if, um, if people want to just come and grab us and ask anything else. But last question, sorry. What's your name? Um, Alex. Alex, where are you from, Alex? Um, London. Alex from London. Big round of applause for London. Guys, I just to say, I'm really sorry that we're not going to get to yours, but you come and speak to us afterwards, okay? Alex from London, what's the last question we're going to be taking today? Um, say if you're seeing someone how do you deal with like temptation and lusting over someone especially if you know it's wrong Alex that's such a brilliant question I was just freaking out thinking should I have stopped a moment ago but that is a brilliant question right give us a couple of tips give us one tip each and then I'll share one as well if you're trying to if you're in a relationship you're pursuing marriage one day how do we resist the temptation to want to go further than we know we should in the first instance Tom what would you say yeah, my first, my first thing that popped into my head would be get somebody to be authentic with. I Very think good. there's such power in having somebody that can be a good friend to you and say, you know, I know that you want to live this way. I know that this is what you want to do. How are you doing with that? And it doesn't have to be in a, in a really heavy-handed way. It can just be a, a friendship of, you know, this is something you've told me. How are you doing with that? Yes. And I'd say pursue that. Uh, Ro, what would you say? Um... If I'll be really honest with you, when I was facing this same battle in our relationship, I was looking at getting married. I want to get married, but actually I didn't want to have a really, really long engagement for all of those reasons that Steve was saying. But I was like, I just want to be with this guy. I want to give him everything. I want to get married. That's not like an easy tip. You can't just get married. But um, I guess I had an accountability partner and I was keeping myself very short accounts. But also I was saying, you know, I'm going to give my life and I want to get married to this guy so that was very good very good so just to just to add I think from my point of view having healthy boundaries that you put around your relationship is a really positive thing 
not as a restrictive thing, but actually working out, hey, when am I tempted? When am I challenged? When are the times when I know I'm at my most weakness? So when my wife and I were dating, actually we realized that anything after 10 o'clock, I became tired and my, there was fogginess that started to come in my head and I was more likely to want to do stuff that I knew I was going to regret later. You know, so are you making sure that there are times when actually, particularly around you know, late at night, that you're in groups? Maybe you're kind of going to say, hey, I'm going to, in my shared house or with my family, we're only going to stay downstairs. We're only going to keep the door wide open. We're not actually going to lie down together. That was one of the big things for me. I was like, actually, we, we can't do this. Because if we lie down together, I'm, my, my temptation is I'm going to put my arm around you. My arm's around you. My temptation is that my head is thinking, okay, what, what else can I do with it? The reality is we've got to start thinking sensibly about, look, what are the healthy guidelines, parameters? And just to be honest and real with people, just as these guys have said, and so if we could pursue Christ in the midst of it, and again, one more free bit of advice. Last thing I'm going to say is this. When you're looking for someone who you're going to spend the rest of your life with, find someone who's going to help you to be all you can be in Christ. Find someone who's going to spend their time pushing you on and closer to him. Because if you find that person, actually, then you've got a lifetime of getting closer to him as you get closer to each other. So think about your boundaries, be accountable, but find someone who's really going to push you close to him and who's going to fight for this stuff and fight for purity together. Guys, I trust that you've been blessed by this. Thank you so much for listening so attentively. You rock. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day.